Karlsson, Karlsson, världens bästa Karlsson. Karlsson, Karlsson, hoj här kommer Karlsson. Karlsson, Karlsson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Karlsson vill jag så bra som mig. Karlsson, Karlsson, Karlsson scores! Karlsson, Karlsson, Yes, welcome everybody to another episode of the Keep Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by a guy who owns an Islanders hat. I don't really remember why I bought it. I think it was just because I like the colors. I'm your host, Dylan Dubrovsky, and once again, it's a psych just kidding, because Ben Burnett took the microphone to interview Kevin Kurz all about the New York Islanders. Really excited to bring this show to you on a packed week of Keeping Carlson. If you have been subscribed to the feed, you're aware that Brian and I released an episode on Sunday where we broke down the first two rounds of the playoffs, tried to mine for some fantasy implications. And then on Tuesday, we released our episode with a KKPP round three draft. Uh, Four of the 20 finalists drafted for their teams for round three of the playoffs to see who's going to make it to the finals and potentially become the next Keeping Carlson playoff pool champion. So definitely check out both of those episodes. But now we're back to the 32 Beats interview series. And like I said, we've got a good one. Another writer from The Athletic, Kevin Kurz, talking about the Islanders with our good friend, Ben. Take it away, Ben. Welcome back to Keeping Carlson. I am your host for today's show, Ben Burnett, and joining me to talk all about the New York Islanders, we have esteemed writer and guest uh, on The Athletic, Kevin Kurz. Kevin, how are you this fine afternoon? Pretty good, Ben. Pretty good. Appreciate you having me on. Yeah, it's wonderful to have you. We are, um, as a fantasy podcast, I feel like the Islanders are one of those teams who we in the fantasy community maybe underrate them relative to their, you know, especially over the the previous two years to this one, but the Islanders are typically a bit of a, a less fantasy forward team. Um, but of course with the outgoing or with the news, I guess from a few weeks ago that Barry Trotz is out, we now have Lane Lambert named as the new coach. Uh, how do you see the, the coaching turnover affecting the Islanders offense heading into next year? Yeah, that's going to be interesting. I mean, it's a little tough to discern right now just because um, obviously we haven't watched any practices or any games under Lane, and we really haven't gotten much of a chance to dig in too deep with him just in terms of uh, an interview or, or, or to get his his philosophy. But, you know, you would think it probably wouldn't change all that much because Lane essentially was one of the architects of Barry Trotz's system, which was obviously very detailed and um more, you know, focusing more on defending your own end and, and playing that structured style than it is uh, an offensive system. So we'll see, uh, you know, Lane's got to sort of, I think, get his bearings here. And um, obviously we have to see also what the Islanders do in the off season. Um, but, you know, if, if they add another couple forwards and, and, um, you know, do something to to help improve their offense, maybe another offensive defenseman that could change the way they play next season. But I still wouldn't think it would be too much different from what Barry was trying to do just because Barry and Lane were together for, you know, a decade. 
Yeah, it feels like there's probably a a fairly straight path moving forward, but it would be nice, I think, for for us fantasy uh, enthusiasts to get a few more goals out of Islanders games next year. Um, I was a little bit surprised to see Trotz get fired so quickly, given his track record with the team. Do you have any sense of what this says about the the team's overall thoughts on on where they are and, and where they are in terms of competing? Well, the fact that it was done a week after the season ended, actually closer to 10 days after the season ended rather than right away, does suggest that management ran through the exit interviews, spoke with all the players, and uh, Lou Lamorello took that into account when he made the change. So again, we haven't spoken to any players about it just yet. So it's hard to know how much of a factor that was in Lou's ultimate decision. But, um, you know, the other thing that he mentioned was that Wayne Lambert really took the reins for about a two week stretch in January when, when Barry was away, both because of a death in the family and because he came down with COVID and entered COVID protocol. And, Lou, I guess, was in was impressed with the way Lane ham, handled himself um, during that stretch. So, uh, if there's anything deeper to it, uh, which there could very well be, it hasn't come to the surface just yet. Um, I think we'll know a little bit more once you know, assuming Barry Trotz gets another head coaching gig. Um, hopefully, that would present an opportunity for some of the local Islanders writers to jump on and ask you a couple of questions and get Barry's perspective on why it. Uh, came to an end here but um for now we're, we're just left with mostly uh you know for now we just really have to speculate on on what the reasoning was because barry trotz is still clearly viewed around the league as one of the best head coaches and, and he might be um you know the whole coaching market and the whole coaching carousel might be dependent upon what barry decides to do just because there seems to be so much interest in in his services yeah that that makes a lot of sense to me and uh it is kind of I find it so bizarre that we can sort of have such a big move in the NHL and just based on availabilities and things we we just are kind of left guessing what would be the cause but I guess maybe now that Barry's outside of the the Lou cone of silence maybe we'll get a little bit more from him at his next stop. Hopefully. That would be nice, yes. Um, Let's talk about a couple of players now. And obviously, I think when it comes to the Islanders, things start with Matt Barzal, uh, the clear most explosive player on that offense. He posted a 66-point pace in 2022, uh, more or less in line with 2021. Um, You know, one of the hallmarks of Trotz's time with the Isles was this feeling that his coaching didn't really let Barzal open up uh, and and play in sort of a free-flowing offense that might have brought more or, or higher offensive stats. Do you have a sense of how a new coach could impact Barzal's results or, or if this could raise his ceiling in any, you know, uh, major way? Yeah, that's uh, certainly, I think, is he's going to be the most interesting player to watch when Lee Lambert does come in and, and make the changes that, that he inevitably is going to make, whether they're minor or major. But Barzell, his season, you know, you look at his season and the point totals were down a little bit, but I, I think his role was also a little bit diminished over the second half for whatever reason. And you saw him, we saw him basically centering the third line uh, with Oliver Wallstrom and Zach Parisi for really the final six weeks or so, you know, for, for not, not, not exclusively, but the majority of that time was, 
was Barzell was, was skating as a third line center and he was still on the top power play unit. And he was effective there, but I don't think his line mates were really, it, it was a season long struggle for them to find him effective line mates. And he had pretty good chemistry with Jordan Eberle, but Eberle was taken by the crack in the expansion draft. And they never really were able to find anyone else to mesh with Barzell. And, and that's probably partially on Barzell's shoulders as well, but at the same time, the forward depth on this team was not all that great this season. So that was a problem. And, um, you know, Barzell, he still, I think, has tremendous potential. He's still the single single most talented offensive player on this team. And they're going to have to find a way, in my view, to have him center one of the top two lines. And they're going to need to find someone uh, that can develop some chemistry with him as a goal scorer because Barzell is obviously such a good player at, uh, you know, he's so shifty in the offensive zone. He can make plays, the vision, the hands, everything. He's got it all uh, offensively. They just, you need to find someone that can play with them that uh, can read off them and can ultimately score goals. And it, you mentioned sort of what, what we could see what we could see the Islanders doing in the offseason uh, earlier and how that might sort of tell, uh, might sort of give us a hint of where the organization is heading. Uh, I'm guessing from from what you've said about Barzal, uh, getting him a line mate is probably uh, action item number one on that list. Yeah, it, it's certainly up there with finding a left shot defenseman to pair with Noah Dobson. But I think Lou's been pretty clear, really, somewhat surprisingly. You know, I've only covered Lou for a little while, but everyone told me how how much he doesn't give away. But he's been pretty clear, really, since the trade deadline came and went, that the Islanders are going to have to, you know, make some hockey trades. And, and, and that means um, maybe shipping out a couple forwards that have been here for a while or, or are established players and um, either to, to clear up space to sign a free agent or to just simply make a, make a hockey trade where maybe players are, are you know, change places and, and it benefits them both. So I do expect there to be some turnover among the forwards. I do expect that, the Islanders are going to try to get involved in any of the free agent forwards that become available, whether that's a Johnny Gaudreau or a Philip Forsberg, or maybe even a Claude Giroux. Um, You know, that's why they built UBS arena because they want to attract top free agents. And now is the summer where there are some top guys available that would be perfect fits for the Islanders and and would really serve a need in terms of something that they're looking to improve in the off season. Yeah, they are a team that you could pretty much, uh, I, I think it's rare that there's a team where you could pretty much picture like any of those guys coming in and, and just immediately you know that they're going to be featured heavily. They're going to be like the number one guy uh, guy on the team. The next player I wanted to talk about is a player who had a had a nice bounce back season um, and a player who I didn't even realize that he was a 37 goal scorer until I was researching. What a quiet incredible year for Brock Nelson, I guess is what I'm saying. Back to the 65 plus point pace that he had in 2020 this year. Uh, When you look at the numbers, certainly the 22% shooting stands out. Do you think this is a case of a high shooting percentage bender that will likely regress next year? Or do you think there's enough in Nelson's game that he can sort of stay at that 30 to 35 goal, 65 point pace heading into a new year? Yeah, I think he can certainly play at a 30 goal pace and that might have been a little bit of, you know, he might have gotten some some fortunate bounces. He was on a tear there for a while where he mm-hmm. was scoring goals 
Um, it was, I want to say it was about a three week stretch in April where he was scoring almost every night. I think he had like a six or seven game goal streak at one point. Um, but he was very good <laughs> too. You can't take that away. From <laughs> yeah, of course. And it was pretty quiet and, and it was probably quiet because when he was scoring a bunch of goals, it was over the second half and the Islanders essentially were never really in the playoff race. They ne- they never really got back into it. Um, certainly not after the all-star break. So um, that might've been why it flew under the radar a little bit, but what was interesting about that was that Nelson seemed to find real good chemistry with Anders Lee uh, on the wing and Lee was previously with Matt Barzell. And so that's part of the reason Barzell was never reunited with Lee is because Brock Nelson was having so much success with them on that top line. So I would imagine those two are going to stay together when, when camp convenes in September. Um, and obviously some things will have to play out then, but um you know, I, I was impressed with Brock Nelson, and, and this was my first year covering the Islanders. And I remember having a conversation with Keith jo- with uh, Keith Jones, and he told you know he was just he was just uh, gushing over how good of a player Bar- uh, Brock Nelson was, and and how just deceptively good because he maybe doesn't really stand out when you're watching him on TV, but when you watch him every night in person, you I think you have you really have an appreciation for this guy for for what he does, and um, he's big, but he's fast. He can shoot the puck and um, there's a lot there to like. So I think, you know, he's in the prime of his career and I think you could certainly pencil him in for 30 goals next season. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. And and I think that Brock Nelson, definitely one of those guys who just, he can really solidify uh, the middle of the ice on, on a second line. And I think Anders Lee is another guy, the, the next player who I was going to mention. So a perfect segue here, but a, another guy who fits on that second line a little bit better than, than having him featured as a, a top line winger. Um, my question was going to be whether or not you, you saw them sticking together, Barzal and Nelson, but it sounds like that's, uh, that's where you would sort of, that's where you would project things going into the new year. Um, I guess, do you, do you, could you hazard a guess who would be the third on, on a line with those two? With um, Nelson and Lee? Yeah. Well, Anthony Bovillier was there, but I, he, I have him listed basically as one of the guys that could get dangled in, in one of these hockey trades that, that Lou has, you know, talked about on more than one occasion. Um, he was a young guy and he's streaky. You notice him for two or three games and then you don't notice him for another week after that. So, um, I still think that he can be an effective player, but there's just been a little bit too much inconsistency there. So I do wonder if he's a guy that might benefit from a change of scenery. And as it's still a younger guy, I think he's someone that could potentially bring back um, a more established scorer since that's what I expect the Islanders are going to try to target in the off season. Yeah. Beauvillier to me feels like one of those guys you always see on the breakout list every off season. He's somebody who it feels like a lot of folks are, are sort of, you can see the talent when you watch him and then he tends to finish the season strong. I feel so. Um, I would, I, it's not a guy who I would want to get rid of if I was the Islanders, but I mean, that's, uh, you have to give something to get something, I suppose. Um, the other guy who is interesting to me in, uh, in that, in that forward group is Oliver Wallstrom, who under Barry Trotz never really cracked the 13 minute mark, uh, in average time on ice. What do you think? Uh, Wallstrom's role could be heading into next year. Could we finally see, you know, Wallstrom get featured a little bit more? Is he ready for a role like that? 
Well, he was really given an opportunity to play with Barzell and didn't really make enough of it in my mind. And I still think the potential is there, but there was, I think, some real that we you know, he called it tough love at the end of the season with 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 Barry. And there are some that think Barry was maybe a little too hard on him and maybe didn't give him the responsibility that that others thought he was ready for. But you know, he's still just 21 years old. And again, he got that chance with Barzell, didn't really do enough with it in my mind. And he's going to be another, but behind Barzell, he might be the second most intriguing forward headed into camp next season because he still does have the potential. And he, you know, he had a bunch of power play goals and he still got, got, got that shot, but um, he's still just a little raw. He still has some more developing to do, I think, especially in his two-way game, like so many of these younger players do. Um, There were times I thought where he just, you know, the hockey sense still needs some, it still needs some work. Um, and I think that's why, especially with a coach like Barry, um, he didn't play as much as especially someone in the fan base would have, would have liked to see him play. So um, we'll see. I think it's, it's going to be incumbent upon him to, to improve, but um, you know, at the same time, I think the lack of practice time and the Islanders really didn't practice. They practiced less than I think any other team probably in the league, just because they had the most compacted schedule in the second half and they had a veteran team. So Barry kept opting to give them days off pretty much after every game. And I think that lack of practice time really hurt some of the young guys. And I would say Wallstrom is in that category. So maybe in a more normal season and a more normal training camp, um, he'll get a chance to, to, to really um, hone his two-way game and, and, and become the player that everyone's sort of hoping he becomes. That's really interesting. I, I had, obviously, you know, that was in fantasy circles. I feel like the Islanders were one of those teams that was talked about so much because if you were looking to the schedule to juice your games played heading into the back end, you'd really, you know, favor the Islanders because they had so many games in hand uh, on the rest of the league. Um, but I hadn't really thought about how that would impact a, a younger guy like Wallstrom. That's a that's a really interesting point. Um Looking at the rest of the sort of the forward group that's there, I, I feel like the only real guy who stands out as a goal scorer, uh, as you mentioned, sort of what they might be looking for in a trade is Kyle Palmieri, who I think fans probably were hoping for a little bit more from uh, following the trade deadline acquisition two seasons ago. Do you think that there's more to more uh, that can be wrung out of Kyle Palmieri? Or do you think that he's a guy who sort of he is what he is like this 55 point player who? is, you know, not going to jump off the screen every game, but is, you know, just sort of a middle sixer. Well, he had a weird season because he, he was, he was generally invisible for the first 30 games that he played. And that's, that's on him. I, you know, I, I, they're just, I didn't see enough out of him when he was struggling uh, in terms of the, in terms of working hard, in terms of, getting himself into areas that he would need to get to, to score goals. And then all of a sudden it did seem to come around after he was a healthy scratch. It was after he was a healthy scratch. And then after his wife had a baby. So I don't know which one it was that, that sort of got him going, but he was, he was actually very good down the stretch. And, you know, that's the guy that they need next season from the start. And, you know, I think he even understood himself. There were a couple of times in his exit interview, he said that, he just has to play a little bit more assertively. And he kept using that word, playing more, playing more assertively. And that just to me means he just has to, he just had to work harder. And 
Um, when he works hard, he's an effective player. When he doesn't, he isn't. And he's not the first player to do that. But, um, you know, I think that that uh, he's still going to be relied upon to score goals. I, I, you know, we'll see, we'll see if he plays on the power play. I think, you know, a guy like that, I think you'd like to see him work his way onto the top power play unit and, and become a, a player that can eat up more minutes that way. And he wasn't always on the top power play unit here. And so I think that affected his goal scoring a little bit, but um, you know, he, he finished the season strong. So that should at least give Islanders fans some hope that he can, uh, he can still be a 20 to 30 goal guy next season. Yeah, that makes total sense. I, I must admit, I haven't watched a ton of Palmieri in Long Island, but I was a big fan of his in Jersey. And, and you could see the goal scoring uh, on the power play for sure. I, I don't know if that was a, an effect of playing with you know MVP level Taylor Hall, um, but certainly he's one of those guys who, when he's on his game, you can see it because he's out there banging the body. He's he's out there really showing. So it's it's no surprise that you could sort of notice that he he wasn't quite at the top of his game. I guess in 2022. Um, any other forwards that we haven't talked about? I, I know Josh Bailey is sort of the the next one that I would think of. Maybe Jean Gabriel Peugeot. These guys who you think could have bigger roles or at least um, be uh offensively productive next year well i mean bailey's season was a lot like paul mary's um i think there's still more upside in paul mary than there is bailey at this point um and bailey's another guy that i could see the islanders trying to move um with two years left at five million dollars um i I wouldn't be surprised if there was a team out there that looks at him as a reliable two-way player that can score goals and and you know, really play in, in just about all situations. Um, and they might want to add to their depth. You know, we, we've seen so many teams in the playoffs this year. We've, you've seen how their forward depth just wasn't quite there. So maybe you got a guy like Bailey might be attractive and, and that might free up some space for the Islanders to, to make a splashier move. So um, we'll see if he's still here when the season starts. And, and you could probably say the same about Pajot, although I tend to think that they used him sort of in a shutdown role here uh, over the second half uh, as a third line center. So um, I didn't, he was pretty hard on himself at the end of the year. I didn't think he was as bad as maybe he seemed to suggest himself. Um, so I, I don't think he's a guy that they're going to look to move in the off season unless they bring back another center. But again, I think they're looking more at the wing than they are center position. You know, you come back with Nelson, Barzell and, and Pajot down the middle. That, that's and Sezikis as the fourth line center. If, if he can uh, sort of reset his game a little bit, um, that's still a pretty good group down the middle. Yeah, well, and I mean, especially given the difficulty in tracking down centers, to me it would seem yeah you kind of have a bird in the hand with with uh, with Pajot. Uh, mm-hmm. I d- and you mentioned sort of the uh, the free agents that are available this year. I believe. The, all the major free agents are wingers at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, Giroux is is now a winger full time. So yeah, it seems like that w- that would be the the logical uh, move. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's that's uh, really at the top of the list. Of, again, it's uh, it's scoring winger, adding some more goals on the wings, and um, left shot defenseman that uh, can play with Noah Dobson, I think, in particular. Yeah, and I can't recall if Pajot and Palmieri came in at the same deadline, but certainly, like, they got what they wanted out of Pajot, I would presume, which is, you know, a two-way center. Mm-hmm. And it's the Palmieri, the goal-scoring winger, where where you're still looking for to sort of hit on, on that maneuver. 
Um, let's hop over to defense now. And you mentioned Noah Dobson earlier, a slow start to the season, but he winds up putting up a a fairly impressive 51 point season. Great to see from a 22 year old D man, especially on a team like the Islanders who, you know, they finished bottom 10 in goal scoring seems to be, you know, if you're not an established, uh, offensive defenseman, 50 points is a, is a really solid number on a, on a low scoring team. What did you see from Dobson this year? And does he seem like he has the ability to elevate the team's offensive ceiling, especially on the power play? Yeah, he was 100% the biggest pleasant surprise this season, other than, well, I guess other than maybe Ilya Sorokin, but um, Dobson's progression over the second half was steady and it was impressive. Um, He really settled in. He, He was uh, better defensively as well as putting up the points, which is obviously just as important. Um, you could just see his confidence growing. He was more patient with the puck. He was making little plays in tight in the defensive zone where I think previously he may have panicked a little bit. And yeah, he, he's going to be a mainstay on this team for a long time. And it'll be interesting because as an RFA, um, you know, he'll be in line. He, he could potentially get a big contract extension this summer. That'll be something to monitor whether the Islanders do that um, and try to extend him for the long term. But he, he, you know, he really established himself, I think, as a core piece of this team, not just for the present, but but for the foreseeable future. That's good to hear. And I mean, that's what you're looking for when you are drafting a guy right around 10 in the in the NHL entry draft. Like if you can get a guy who's going to stick with the team, you know, raise the ceiling, be an every night NHLer, I think you're going to be really happy with with uh, with Noah Dobson's results so far into his career. Um, the other defenseman who is well known in fantasy circles on the aisles is Ryan Pollock, uh, mainly adored for those back end peripheral stats. But he also used to be a bit of a, a point scorer. He he would always you know put up around the forty to forty five, or he he has at points in his career uh, been around the forty to forty five point range. Uh, the last few years, though, it looks like he's become more of the thirty to thirty five point defenseman who is really just there for the back end stats. Um, he struggled with an injury midway through this year. Uh, obviously the entire Isles franchise struggled with, uh, with production in the first 30 games or so this year. Do you see him getting back to that earlier career, uh, level, or do you, do you think sort of what we saw this year is what we get out of a player like Ryan Pollock? Well, he missed so much time there in the middle of the season. So it's a little bit tougher to judge his season as a whole, just because it was sort of, um, you know, I think he was adverse, adversely affected by that injury. And that that's basically what he said coming out of the, or, uh, on, on exit, exit day was, um, you know, he had never missed time like that. And so it was definitely a process coming back in. So I would imagine he's still firmly going to be one of the team's top pair defensemen with Adam Pellick, uh, when the season begins. Um, there were times he struggled coming back from the injury. It was, it was evident. Um, there's no question about it. And, uh, you know, offensively, he didn't, he didn't really do a whole lot either when he came back, but, um, again, he had that injury. So I think you, you look at his season a little bit differently than maybe some other guys. For sure. Um, let's hop over to goaltending. One of the few bright spots for this team in 2022, Ilya Sorokin runs away as the starter in the first half of the season. Uh, Semyon Varlamov has a bit of a slow start, but then after the Sorokin injury, really rebounds over the last two months of the season. 
Uh, do you see the Isles running back this tandem heading into next year, or do you think Varlamov has become expendable with Sorokin's emergence? Yeah, that that's a big question right now, and I I tend to think that they're going to bring them both back. They're certainly bringing Sorokin back. Um, I tend to think they're going to keep Varlamov around for now, just because you look around the league and and you, this is a team that still has Stanley Cup aspirations next season, and how many teams in the league this season towards the end of the regular season or in the playoffs were forced to rely on their number two goaltender uh, or even their number three goaltender. Sometimes it was quite often. And the schedule probably has something to do that to, to do with that because everything was so compacted. But I think the Islanders saw that and, and they said to themselves, well, we've got two goalies here, both signed through next season at $9 million total for the two of them. That's really not that bad. You know, that's only about one tenth of the salary cap for the most important position on the ice. And as as strong as Sorokin was this season in establishing himself really as the next franchise goaltender, I think you still don't know for sure if he can handle the number one workload just yet. And him and Varlamov are really tight. Two Russian goalies. They get along well. Um, they're very good friends. So do you want to mess with that? You know, cause if you're moving on from Varlamov, that that's, that means you're putting added pressure on Sorokin, whether you're admitting to it or not, that's, that's just the fact of the matter. No matter who you bring in as a backup, you move on from Varlamov. You're saying, you're saying Sorokin, you're the number one guy. And he really has not been the bona fide established number one guy just yet. So I think you start with Varlamov and then, you know, maybe if, Sorokin sort of emerges as the number one and he proves that he can handle that workload, then maybe you move him. But um, I I think at this point he's going to come back, but I could also see them just as well saying to them, saying to themselves, Sorokin is, is a future star in this league. He proved it this year. He can be our number one goalie. Let's free up $5 million in cap space and use that money to address another need. They could very well do that, but I still think let's put it at 60, 40. I, I, I think it may be a little bit better, maybe more like 75, 25 that they bring Varlamov back. And that's the tandem they start the regular season with. Yeah, that would certainly be like a uh, trading uh, Varlamov would certainly be the aggressive move, right? Like we need to make sure that we're putting in all of our, our chips into the table and, and going for it. Um, being around uh, Sorokin is the other question I wanted to ask you about the goaltending and sort of we've seen a couple of uh, high profile Russian goalies come over and join uh, the NHL over the past few years. We may see one of them, uh, Igor Shosturkin, winning the Vesna this year. What is your sense of 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 uh, Sorokin as a as a person? Does he have sort of that? the quality that you see, or, or is there anything there that sort of shows to you that he could make it, he could grow to the next level? Yeah. You know, unfortunately we didn't get to talk to him too much when, when the war began, the, the Islanders put a kibosh on us talking to the Russian guys mm-hmm. uh, for whatever reason, like some other teams, I guess did too. But um, we did talk to him at the end of the season and I don't know, he's a goalie. <laughs> <laughs> right. They're all little, they all have a little bit of a (laughs) uh, screw loose, right? Um, Mm -hmm. But no, I I think he has the respect of his teammates. And I certainly think that uh, his teammates like him. And 
on multiple occasions, Barry Trotz and I think even, even some other guys spoke about how when Sorokin was just around the team in the bubble in 2020 where they brought him over just to be a part of that experience, even though he wasn't playing, that sort of helped him get acclimated to North America, to just living here and um, meeting some of the guys and spending time with them. So um, I think he's pretty comfortable in the room. I think the guys are comfortable having him around and they like him. And uh, some of the things he did on the ice this season were just, just spectacular. So uh, I don't have any doubt that um, they look at him now as the goalie for the foreseeable future. And uh, just like the Rangers look at Shesterkin, I think the Islanders look at Ilya Sorokin the exact same way. It makes a lot of sense. Um, I just have a couple quick ones for you, Kevin. I know you need to get out of here. Do you have a few more minutes or are we? uh... No, no, go ahead. Okay. Um, Looking to prospects, um, I'm not sure what your familiarity level is. I know this is your first year with the team. Um, Any younger players you could see the Isles bringing in this year that sort of are uh, capable of making an impact right away that should maybe be on uh, fantasy players' uh, radars heading into drafts this year? I really don't. I, I don't see any rookies on the opening night roster next season. The only one who might have a chance is uh, Atu Ratu, um, who came over and spent some time with Bridgeport. And I know he came, had a pretty good training camp last year or last September. Um, and he had a real good year playing in Yoli Jokinen uh, overseas. And I exchanged some text messages with, with Oli and he's really high on this kid. He says that he thinks he's going to be an NHL player sooner than later, but um, you know, right now I just, I wouldn't see it. I don't really see a spot for him unless he really busts down the door in training camp. I don't really see a spot for him because he's not a fourth liner. And I think the Islanders, because they're a Stanley cup, you know, they look at themselves as still a Stanley cup contender that they're going to think a little bit higher in terms of, uh, scoring wingers. And again, we've talked about that, whether that's through free agency or trades. So I just don't think there's going to be any room for him. Now I, I could see him per- perhaps playing a few games next season. Maybe he gets a couple cups of coffee, but he's really the only one that I see as someone that could make the Islanders out of camp next season. And I even think he is a long shot. You've mentioned a few times now that the Islanders still see themselves as Stanley Cup contenders. Uh, does that seem – I I know that there's always sort of that um, postseason um, recency bias where it's like it, – it feels like everybody's projected playoffs for next year is just whatever just happened. People just assume we'll see more or less the same. But I do have a bit of – I don't know. For whatever reason, it feels difficult for me to see – a team as old as the Islanders and and who struggled the way that they did last year, short of, you know, and definitely not to take anything away from Ilya Sorokin, who I think has the talent to uh, make them a playoff team. Um, but it, it feels like a bit of a stretch. Would you be, would you put them at that, at that contender level heading into next year? I want to see what they do in the off season first, because they do have some things they have to fix. You know, you, you can't have Andy Green and, and Zdeno Chara, playing 15 to 20 minutes a night on your back end. So first and foremost, you got to fix the defense. You've got to find again, that left-handed shot to play with Noah Dobson. Um, and maybe, maybe, you know, add even a little bit more depth from there. So I, I want to see what they do in the off season. I want to see if they're able to find some wingers first. I do think that the right, that, that, that the core here is still a pretty good one. And when I say core, I'm talking about Pelik, Pulak, Dobson on D, Sorokin in net, 
Nelson, Anders Lee, Matt Barzell up front. You know, I, I still like that group. So, uh, l- listen, Lou Lamorello has put the pressure on himself now. He got rid of the Hall of Fame coach, and he's mentioned that he plans on doing some things in the summer to improve the roster. He's got to go do it now. So um, it's too early for me to, to declare whether this team can compete for a Stanley Cup next season. But I do think if they make the right moves, they can be in the conversation. And uh, so this year they draft 13th overall. Any idea where they might be heading in the draft? Or, I mean, at that level, it's it's rare that you would be making short-term decisions. But do you have any sense of where they might go at 13? No, just because I think the the system right now is a little devoid of high-end talent. So to me, they're just going to go with the best overall player. I, 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 I can't see them taking a goalie, but I think they go with the best overall forward or defenseman. Yeah, that, that would probably be their best... Uh, the best plan uh, in that position. Uh, Kevin, thank you so much for joining us. You have been a incredible guest and, and a, a wonderful resource on the Islanders. Where can our listeners find your work? I am on theathletic.com. And social media handles, anything you want to um, share? Yeah, yeah. Twitter is uh, KKURZ NHL. K-K-U-R-Z NHL. Perfect. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, we really appreciate it. Hopefully we can chat again sometime in the future. Yep, no problem, Ben. Thanks for having me.